0: My title today is Ready for the Return of the King. It's good news now. We have been through all of the judgments, the plagues, the heaviness, the fall of Babylon. Remember that weird one? We've covered all of that ground. And now we get to some amazing good news. The return of the king. I'm going to read to you from Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. And John the writer, he said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and on his and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the one press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there we go. If you have a, a tattoo, don't worry. Jesus has one as well. It says on his thighs written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, however you interpret that. So four big events are still to be covered. I'm going to cover two of them today and two of them tomorrow. As we look at chapters 19 and 20 today, 21 and 22 next week, today we're going to look at the return of King Jesus and then this weird thing called the millennium, this thousand years that is spoken about and I'll read about in a moment. Now both of these events are huge events and both of them have big implications for our lives. Now, they're very controversial. And so once again, I'm not trying to tell you what I'm saying is the interpretation. In fact, I'll rather give you a couple of options of interpretation and then share with you why I believe, what I believe and the lessons that I've taken out of the study. Remember, though, As we've gone right through this book, we've called it Revelation Readiness. Because readiness, I believe, is the big why. More important than what exactly does every symbol, every head, every horn, every beast. Rather than what they all mean, why are they there? And I believe the big reason is so that we as believers would be ready. We would be ready. As we look at the news, every day you turn on the news and there's this global conflict. The world right now is sitting on that kind of seesaw. could go either way. As other nations could get involved in this conflict in the Middle East, it could spark off. It could become a major thing or it could not. And so we live with the sense of which way is the world going to go right now as world opinion goes up and down. But we as a people of God need something inside of us that becomes a strength and a certainty so that we can navigate an uncertain future. And remember the who is also more important than the what. This is a book about Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus. It's not about Satan and the marks and the beasts. No, no, they're there, but they are secondary characters. This is about Jesus, and we're looking at his return today. So let's have a look at the first part, the return of Jesus. The stage is set. Back in chapter 16, we we heard this verse. In uh, chapter 16, verse 16, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, many of you science fiction watching, movie war movie watching, you've heard Armageddon. The world loves this thing. The final battle. It's like the troops of the world have gathered. Interestingly, I mean, that's Armageddon. Literally, there is a valley in Israel. And we look at the world right now and what's happening on TV. And you can understand how the world could turn against Israel. So maybe what we're seeing now is a little foreshadow of what could take place in years to come. And you can see how easily it could happen. We read now in chapter 19 and verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So literally you can see that the armies of the world have gathered against God's people, against Israel. They gathered around. This is the conflict. They're going to smash, annihilate and once and for all be done with this people of God. Five things I want us to see about the return of Jesus. Because it's at that moment that the king returns. Number one, Jesus is clearly coming back. I want to know if you believe that. Do you believe that? There is a day, a moment in history when Jesus will be coming back. You see, when we carry that as a conviction, it gives us such a hope and such a perspective for the future of the world. And he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's not coming back gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming back with the armies of heaven at the most critical time in history to show once and for all who's in charge. It's amazing. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 to 11. Uh, what happened is remember Jesus had uh, he'd risen from the dead. He, for 40 days he'd met with his disciples. And then as he's talking to his disciples, he just begins to <laughs> ascend straight up to heaven in front of them. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 it said after Jesus had said this he was taken up before their very eyes and then a cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine what that was like Jesus literally up he goes to heaven and then the clouds close up and it's like Jesus is gone. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going well I would have been too. <laughs> when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him men of Galilee they said why do you stand here looking into the sky this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this is not going to be born in a little town in Bethlehem. No, no. This is coming on the clouds like the songs that we sing. He's not coming quietly, not coming secretly, not coming born as a man. He's returning as the king. And as he's described in those early verses we read coming as the faithful and true eyes on flames of fire a robe dipped in blood all of these are prophetic references that have already been made this is jesus who's returning his name is the word of god a sharp sword comes from his mouth he will rule the nations with a rod of iron as prophesied in the book of psalms king of kings and lord of lords in fact paul wrote it like this to timothy to encourage him in 1 timothy chapter 6 verse 13 to 15 it says in the sight of god who gives to everything, And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is coming back as the conquering king. Number two, guess who comes with him? It says, uh, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's that? I mean, is this the angels of heaven gathered around Jesus? Nope. Because a couple of verses just before that, in chapter 19, verses 7 to 8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Guess who's coming back with Jesus? Riding on horses as well. The armies of God is the bride of Christ. Can you ride a horse? If not, YouTube it and then go for a lesson because it says the bride of Jesus, the people of God will be coming back with Jesus. So if you don't believe animals go to heaven, we know there's going to be a lot of horses. That's for sure. Because the people of God are coming with Jesus, riding on horses as the army of God, which is a glorious thing. Third thing, this is important, as part of the return of Jesus is what the Bible calls the first resurrection. In Revelation chapter 20, we're going to get into a moment, but I want you to catch what it says. It says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. We'll talk about that in a moment. And next week, we're going to look at final judgment, where all of mankind will be resurrected and judged. But first it says, this is the... It says, "This uh, the rest of the dead did not come alive, arrive, but these are the people of God. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death, that's judgment we'll look at next week, has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, like what are you talking about here? Well, let me explain it to you in the words of Paul the apostle as he described it to the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 24, he said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, falling asleep is not dozing in church, okay? I love Paul's theology. He would never talk about a Christian dying because Jesus conquered death. He said, if you're a Christian, you don't die. You fall asleep in the Lord because sleep is restorative, redemptive, and temporary, and you wake up again from your sleep feeling strong. So I love Paul. He'd never say death is, no, no, Christians don't die. They fall asleep in the Lord because then they wake up again stronger. Verse 21. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ we will all be made alive. But each in turn, interesting, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. That's you and me. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So in other words, Jesus comes riding on the clouds. The one is white horse, the armies of heaven, the bride of Christ, those who've fallen asleep in Christ, they coming with Jesus. And now look what it says, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 15, 1 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, not every Christian's gonna die. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Last trumpet, that's when Jesus comes back. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I love this one. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the church to give them an understanding. What happens when Christians die? And he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Now that's what we've been studying. With a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. That's what we've been looking at. And the dead in Christ, not all the dead, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, In other words, maybe we've made it through the tribulation. Maybe the start of the tribulation is coming. Maybe we've still been through this tough seven years or three and a half years. It says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. Who's them? I mean, Jesus and the armies of heaven, the saints of God coming with Jesus, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I mean, how awesome is that going to be? This is not science fiction. This is in the Bible. This is Paul quoting, Speak. this is what's going to happen. Jesus comes back riding the white horse. It says, with him the armies of heaven, the saints of God, the bride of Christ, riding horses. Then it says, those who are still alive in Christ, we don't get left out of this victory procession. It says, those who are still alive in Christ are caught up with them in the air. But it says, and we are changed. The first resurrection. Remember, those souls in heaven, they get real glorified bodies. We who've got these mortal bodies that are getting older and older, some older than others, it says we changed in the twinkling of an hour and are given a glorified body, and we meet Jesus in the air. Extra horses must be available because onto the horse we go, coming back with Jesus. It's in the Bible, and it says, And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. I hope you feel encouraged because actually, that's what's going to happen. That's in the Bible. This is not a Hollywood movie. That's what's in the Bible. And I'm looking forward to it. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be amazing. Jesus returns, the dead in Christ return with Jesus as an army and are reunited with a resurrected eternal body. Those believers still alive are caught up into the army coming from with the clouds and are changed from perishable to imperishable. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead? He rose with an imperishable body. He he had a body that was growing older. He went from born to 12 to 33. His body was, but when he was resurrected from the dead, he was given an imperishable body. And in the same way, Bible says, we will be changed. So this is, A beautiful picture of what it was like when a king returned victorious after a great battle. Here, interestingly enough, he still faces the battle. But the fourth point about Jesus' return is that we don't have to fight in the army. Isn't this beautiful? So now we're part of the army. Jesus is up front. We're all kind of, I don't know if it's like Braveheart or whatever, but I mean, we're sitting on a horse, the armies of heaven, the saints of God, for the first time, all united together. We're on our horses. It's like, Jesus, we're right behind you. The news is better. We don't have to fight. Because Revelation 19, some of you are like, gone, Others are like, phew. <laughs> Revelation 19, verse 19 to 21. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But... The beast was captured and was with it the false prophet. Remember, we studied those political leaders, a religious leader. They were captured. And with it, the false prophet who performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. We looked at that. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Very first two beings to be thrown into hell, which is a frightening thought, which we're going to look at next week. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Hectic. So in other words, this is not a prolonged battle. This is not even a six-day war. This is not, let's lay siege. This is Jesus coming back, the same Jesus, who is the living word of God. Let there be light. There was light. Then he came as the living word. The word became flesh. And now he comes as the mighty warrior, and he says, enough. Beautiful. So we get to spectate. We dressed up like a mighty army, and we just get the front row seats as Jesus wins this glorious battle. The fifth part of the return of Jesus is for me, I don't understand. I'm not exactly sure when this glorious supper takes place. Revelation 19 verse 9, it says, The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is controversial because some would say, no, it happened up in heaven. And I'm like, "Mm, how does that work? How can some of the saints be left here going through difficult times of tribulation while other saints are in heaven having this glorious celebration? doesn't make sense. It doesn't say the supper happens. It says they've got themselves ready. Then they get on horses. It seems to me that that glorious celebration with the first time the saints are together with Jesus, banquet probably takes place right here on earth after this glorious victory that Jesus has won. And in some ways, it kind of makes sense because I was reminded straight away of Psalm, that famous Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A few moments ago, the armies of the world were against Jesus and against the people of God. And I'm going to prepare a table before you to celebrate together this glorious victory. So Jesus returns with his army bride, united with the saints still living. The saints are united with immortal bodies. Jesus destroys this Armageddon army, the beast, the false prophet with a word, and the wedding feast is celebrated. And we're going to be part of it. We're going to be part of it. I'm going to ask you right now, are you going to be part of it? I know I'm going to be there. I know I'm going to be there. My life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's my lord. You see, he's coming back to show his lordship over the, all the earth. And either now we choose voluntarily, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord now. I don't want you to have to come and conquer me then. I'm surrendering myself to you now, Lord and Savior. So either we get to be part of this glorious army that the Bible spells out, coming in victory, or we're part of the conquered, where we finally realized how doff was I, how stubborn was I, how hard-hearted was I. Why didn't I put my faith in this king? Just a couple of minutes, I want to then go on to even more of a controversial topic. But one probably out of the whole of the book of Revelation, I'm looking forward to the most. The Bible speaks about the thousand year reign of Jesus, the millennium. You might have heard about it. I'm going to read Revelation 20, verses 1 to 10. Probably one of the most controversial passages, sorry in the whole Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. It says, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who'd been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them for a thousand years. So that's what follows the return of Jesus. We've described His coming, the reuniting of Jesus with the saints of those dead and those still alive in this glorious celebration victory. And now speaks about Jesus coming to reign with those, thrones for those who reign with him. Verse 7 says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. You thought Armageddon was enough. Did you not learn that at Armageddon the battle was won just like that? Verse number nine, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, third person into hell, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So. This is called the millennium. Now you get to hear some of these big religious words. And, and people, when pastors get together, they like to debate this kind of stuff. Are you a pre a post a millennialist, And like, what are you talking about? Well, I want to give you the main ideas very quickly, just for a minute. pre millennials is the original view that the church read and understood. And it's what I've described to you. Jesus comes back pre, before that millennium. And literally believing Jesus comes to planet Earth. And then reigns as king on earth for a thousand years, whether it's a literal or symbolic number. For a whole lot of years, Jesus reigns on earth, probably from Jerusalem, with the saints, the people of God, now exercising government on his behalf. Post-millennialists they believe that actually, no, the millennium's happening now. What we're in right now, the church age, is actually this millennium time. And the church is going to be reigning here on earth. Things are going to get better and better and better. The church is going to get more and more powerful. And the church is going to be exercising authority on earth. And once we've finished the job, then Jesus will come back. I'm like, mm, you've got to be very optimistic. Are things getting better and better and better? I'm like, mm, I don't really think so. And then you get a millennius. A means nothing like an atheist. Don't believe in anything. A millennium means no, there's no millennium jesus has already been given all authority in heaven it's it's, there's no millennium time it's actually jesus comes back judges and then there's a new heaven and a new earth you you can study all of those and, and there's different reasons why people buy into these my thinking is normally you want to believe what the bible simply says and you've got to twist the bible a lot to get it to sound like actually Jesus comes after the millennium or there's no millennium. It said six times for a thousand years, for a thousand years, for a thousand years, for a thousand years. It's kind of making a point. Personally, I believe the literal Bible reading that Jesus says he returns and reigns for a thousand years. Why change the order? I don't see the age of triumph right now. Not optimistic that things are getting better and better. If anything, it sometimes looks like things are getting worse before they get a whole lot better. And you'd have to twist the scripture a lot to make it fit. So what I believe, I believe that Jesus will come back from heaven and reign on this earth with these problems and climate change and pollution and all kinds of mess for a thousand years. And you know, I've come to believe that because I think to myself, imagine what this world would be like when Jesus comes to do what Adam and Eve were originally told to do. Come and rule over the earth, take care of it, and use it for the glory of God. Can you imagine a thousand years under Jesus' rulership and reign with the saints, his sons and daughters, exercising government on his behalf? Can you imagine what a glorious thing that would be? Imagine after 10 years, hey, the world is starting to look a whole lot better. There's no litter anymore, and it's like no corruption anymore. And after 20 years and 50 years and 100 years and 500 years, imagine how glorious this creation will begin to look. Yeah, someone said this, Wayne Gruden from Systematic Theology, the idea of glorified believers and sinners living on earth together during the millennium does sound strange to us now, but it's certainly not impossible for God to bring this about. We must realize that Jesus lived on the earth with a glorified body for 40 days after his resurrection, and apparently there were many other Old Testament saints who lived with glorified bodies on earth during that time as well carried on to say this is consistent with the rest of the new testament where we are frequently told that believers will reign with christ and be given authority by him to reign over the earth can you imagine some of you sitting right here might be mayor of umshlatus one day i want you to take care of this city premier of the province president of a country imagine under the rulership of jesus does it sound science fictiony maybe it does But actually it's in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said this, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in this very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Have you ever been thought that maybe you've been groomed right now on earth to reign with Christ? And he's asking, can you be faithful with the small things? Can you be faithful what you're facing now so that I can use you greatly in the age to come? Do you not know in 1 corinthians 6 verse 3 do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life revelation 2 26 and 27 to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end i will give authority over the nations and will rule them with an iron scepter dash them to pieces like pottery just as i have received authority from my father why does it happen well sometimes we think surely In perfect conditions, with a perfect government, everyone would be believers. No, they wouldn't. The human heart is deceptive and wicked. Sometimes we blame the devil. Nope. Still people rebelled against Jesus. But I want to see, I I love this verse. I've always wondered about it, but only now in this context would it make sense. In Romans 8, verses 19 to 23, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Imagine engineers, if we still engineered, but did it to the glory of God and not to greed or to... Just man's comfort and convenience. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. As you can hear, these are amazing chapters. I've come to believe after the study that Jesus truly will come back. We will be united with Christ and for whether it's literal thousand years or, or an age, I believe Jesus will reign on planet earth. And I want to be part of that. I think it's going to be absolutely amazing until he finishes the job that Adam and Eve were initially given. Father, here is the creation you gave to mankind. And Jesus, son of God, son of man, with his sons and daughters, gives it back to the father, saying the work is now complete. As I land, maybe I can ask you to stand because I want to just... Leave you with four challenges. If you don't mind closing your your eyes just for a moment. Challenge number one the assurance of Jesus' return should make us live with hope. I want to ask you are you living with hope, certain of the return of the King? Number two, the thought of being part of the first resurrection which means being safe from the final judgment, should encourage us. I want to ask you, are you part of that first resurrection? Because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, because you've surrendered yourself to the Lordship of King Jesus now. Thirdly, knowing the outcome of the final battle should give us courage. You watch the news and the depressing things that happen in the world. It says there'll be wars and rumors of war, but do not be alarmed. Do you have an assurance in your heart? Jesus will overcome. And lastly, knowing that we will be rewarded with a role of rulership in his millennium kingdom should inspire us to greater faithfulness. We saved by faith and rewarded for faithfulness. Are you being faithful right now? Are you being faithful? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Take charge of 10 cities. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, we thank you for the return of the King. Who knows? Maybe we'll be alive to see that glorious day when Jesus returns. And if not, Jesus will be coming with you, celebrating with you as you come to conquer. And to reign, Father, some of these things are confusing and we're not exactly sure. And there's not a lot of detail given, but there's enough given in your word to encourage us, encourage us towards hope, encourage us towards faithfulness, encourage us towards steadfastness. Father, I pray that you would settle the hearts of your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are our glorious conquering king. And Hollywood doesn't get to use their imaginations for, no, no, Lord God, you are even more creative. You are the creator. You have an amazing, glorious future prepared for the saints. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the substance of the courage and and, and just the wonder of your kingdom. Father, may we walk in your grace. May we walk in your peace. Thank you that your favor rests upon us. Thank you that your gracious hand is upon us. In Jesus' name.